50 years ago, the first edition of 55 Ways to the Wilderness in South Central Alaska was published, written by Helen Ninhauser and Nancy Zimmerman. After five editions, this tune, Helen's son, John Wolf, and granddaughter, Rebecca Wolf, are following in Helen's footsteps and published a new version titled Alaska Adventure 55 Ways South Central Wilderness Explorations. At the end of the show, we'll be joined by Charlotte Hughes with the Prince Room Sound Stewardship Foundation to learn about their natural history symposium. Welcome back to Outdoor Explorer. I'm your host, Paul Tordak. I'm thrilled to have John and Becca Wolf and Helen Ninhauser here to uh, discuss and talk about their new book, Alaska Adventure 55 Ways. Welcome to the show, everybody. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Um, Helen, I've known for a long time, uh, and not as long as I think her son or granddaughter, but. Um, Tell us a bit about this is this has been 50 years, over 50 years since the original 55 Ways was published. I think five editions. That's amazing. Um, and I let's hear from you, Helen, a little bit about the origin story of the original book. Okay. Well, actually, the idea and for it came from the Seattle Mountaineers, which is both a mountaineering organization and a book publisher. And they asked Ginny Wood of uh, Fairbanks and Camp Denali uh, to, to do it. And she initially agreed and then recruited me and Nancy Zimmerman to help her. And this was to be about the whole state, mind you. Um, it didn't take her very long to figure out that that was too big a job for someone who was also running a camp in the summer. Um, and she backed out. And Nancy and I were hooked on the idea, and we decided to go ahead with it. Um, and in, instead of doing the whole state, we focused on the road accessible part of South Central, which made it a doable project. Um, fortunately, the Seattle Mountaineers agreed, and it took us four or five years to actually get to publication, which was 72. Um, and it, it was a lot of work. <laughs> it was I'll, a lot of fun. I'll bet. And uh, you know, back then, we didn't have the Parks Highway, so that probably influenced a bit, right? Right. And, um, and, and I, when, uh, I, did we even have a Chugat State Park? Yes, we had a Chugach State Park. Yeah, which I think you were also involved with forming also. Yes. Yeah. Um, and was that part of your motivation uh, to, to write it, uh, to get people out more and enjoy the, the Alaska wilderness? Right. I mean, I think it had, I thought at the time, and still do, that it had two main purposes. And one was just to get people out there. Um, in the 60s, people did not go into the woods and into the mountains unless they were hunters. Um, and knowing how to get there was part of it, but part of it, it just wasn't part of the culture. And then this was a scary place without trails. Um, and we wanted to change that. So that was getting people out 
getting the getting people to fall in love with the wilderness with this wonderful place as we have um, was the first thing and then the second part of it was um, to build a constituency that became more and more important as the years went by and everybody else decided it was wonderful out there <laughs> and, um, but building a constituency to protect these places was an was an important part of it and it seems to have worked to some degree <laughs> at least yeah uh, yeah and so that conservation ethic of yours um was obviously um, a strong, a strong uh, motivation. Um, did that come to you um, sort of naturally being in Alaska or, you know, what, what, how, how did you develop your conservation at that when you, um, well, yeah. um, I grew up on the East Coast and um, there's some beautiful places on the East Coast, but we didn't do hiking um, particularly. I mean, we'd go on a walk down the street, down to the stream for a picnic, but hiking, it also, it has to do too with hiking as a recreational thing to do. And that was developing around the time that we wrote the book. So, um, but also in being from the East Coast, I knew what can happen to the, as development takes place. And it was important to me to keep the wilderness, just it needed to be a little more accessible. <laughs> yeah, well, thank goodness you did, you and others did, as we have two at State Park and a lot of other amazing places that are, are here because of your and others' work. How did, um, I assume John was involved in this as a kid, or you had the family, uh, somehow you've passed this on to your family also. Well, <laughs> I assume they were involved and you didn't, they must have had some pleasurable experiences to continue to be interested in the outdoors. Well, my children were like four and six when we started exploring this. And um, it took us about five, four or five years to go from the decision to do it to actual publication. And um, so we started, um, when they were quite small, taking them on places, taking them on hikes that were, they weren't too rugged, but they were getting out into the wilderness. Um, and it worked. I must not have pushed too hard or they would have been rebelling, right? So <laughs> um, we got I, them out as much as we could. Yeah, there's a, there's a, saying in the outdoor field if you push the kids too hard they're all going to become stockbrokers but if, <laughs> if if it's enjoyable for them which obviously for john and, and becca it must have been because they're still still at it um, yes certainly um so let's shift a little bit thank you helen um let's shift a little bit to the new book um so now here we are 50 years later and we have uh, the next two generations coming out with a new book um Alaska Adventure, 55 Ways, a South Central Alaska Adventures. Do I have it right? The whole name. And it'll be published here uh, out in uh, early June. Uh, so uh, John and Becca, tell us a bit about the book. Well, this, this book is um, in some ways um, 
the base of the good old book, The 55 Ways to the Wilderness in South Central Alaska that I grew up with and Becca grew up with. Uh, and it's also um, what the, the Mountaineers books has termed a robust reboot. So it's, um, it's full color. It's, um, it's a beautiful book and um, it's full of uh, a bunch of different trips in different modes, which builds on the history of the book uh, that has always been there. But it is, um, we, we put a little different spin on, particularly in the Anchorage area, but throughout the book on traverses and loops, uh, a little bit longer trips so you can break into smaller pieces. Um, and um, we're very pleased with it. It's turned out well and, um, yeah, Becca probably has more to add. Yeah, I think to build on that a little, we um, obviously the kind of outdoor scene and the guidebook scene has changed in the last 50 years. Like, like Grandma was saying, it used to be there wasn't a book to guide you into South Central Alaska. Um, and now there are many, many books and many excellent books that can help you find a ways into the mountains and onto the water. Um, so we are, um, yeah, kind of trying to like steer the book a little more into what has always made our book special. And that's, um, you know, allow, allowing people to find not only day hikes, but also multi-day backpacking trips, portage canoe trips, ways to get out on your bike and on your skates. Um, so the idea is really to find this, uh, you know, find, find a way to be outside year round. And I think that's something that's important to our family too, is being active at every time of the year and being able to find where, what's the right conditions for what activity now. That's great, Becca. Were you, well, talk about the motivation uh, for being involved in this. And I think maybe you have a little reading you want to do about, uh, that might reflect on that also. Yeah. Um, so I think part of why we wrote this book is because the, thanks to grandma and thanks to my dad, the wilderness and being outside has been a really important part of our family and an important part of our lives. Um, and the idea of the book is really to share that kind of special feeling that you get in the outdoors with others. So I'll read a little bit about that from our introduction. There is nothing finer than the crisp outline of deep purple peaks silhouetted against a brightening morning sky or the blush of alpenglow on rock and snow as the sun sinks away. And there is no place finer to observe the swell and fade of light than outdoors deep in a wildflower meadow, high on a tundra ridge, or in the middle of a frozen lake in South Central Alaska. So the idea there is just that it's really a almost spiritual experience to be outside and it can be very healing and rewarding. And um, the goal of the book is not to, not to make it overly complex to get outside. You know, you don't need all kinds of fancy gear. You don't need a, a plane ride to a glacier to be outdoors and appreciate that. Um, and the idea is to, you know, share that with people. Um, and I know a lot of Alaskans already do that, but it's not everyone that, uh, that knows how to do that. So it's to try to introduce people and also, um, hopefully give a new perspective to people who have already been out on a lot of trips, like give them a new trip to try out. I, I would add a thing that, um, I, I believe that the original book was um, part of a series that, that the uh, 
for for its early editions. Um, it was part of a series that the Mountaineers books had that was essentially a hundred hikes in X or fifty hikes in X, but it was usually hikes, and um, and ours was titled originally fifty five ways, and that is in part because it was not just hikes; it was canoeing and lakes and skiing. And we've tried to build on that in this book to, to give the, you know, the full sampling of human powered things that you could do in the outdoors in South Central Alaska. And, um, you know, and definitely the year round piece so that it's not just summer. It's a, it's a beautiful book. I really like um, Becca and John, the idea of being out in the, in the outdoors. There's part spiritual, there's part physical, there's part mental. Um, uh, and I like that quote, Becca, about the sort of spiritual aspect of it, or, or um, introspective uh, might be another way to uh, put it. Um, and I, I think that is something that is that a value that you, you know, wh where'd you receive that value? I, not to really pressure on you because your grandmother's, your dad are sitting right here, but, but at some point in your life, uh, was it just a natural thing or did a light bulb go on and go, oh, this is, this is for me? <laughs> Um, I think, uh, I think like my, my grandma and dad were working on editions of this book as I was growing up as well. Um, and it, so we were going out on trips all the time and being outdoors was, didn't feel unusual to me or special necessarily. It was just sort of normal. I actually think in writing this book, uh, and sharing it kind of like initial bits with some friends, I've come to realize that, that it is special to have that kind of lifestyle. It's not everyone that gets to spend that much time commuting with the outdoors, um, but there's a lot of opportunities to do that in Alaska and uh, Alaskans are very lucky. Yeah, we sure are. This is Outdoor Explorer. I'm your host, Paul Torda. We're talking with Becca and John Wolf and Helen Ninhauser about Becca and John's new book, Alaska Adventures, 55 Ways. And uh, Helen's old book, the 55 Ways original book. When you um, think about um, this, uh, the, the, the book a little bit and uh, trying to explain it to people, um, who's it for? Um, and, and uh, you know, is it for visitors or is it for locals and residents? Who was your, who, who will get the most out of, out of this book, do you think? I think it's, I think it's um, all of the above at some level. The, uh, certainly um, what we hear a lot is, um, I got that book when I first came to Alaska, and it's just been great to have this book as a guide as I've gotten to know the place and live here and be able to refer back to it. And um, it's definitely for, for that kind of thing, people who are new in town and looking to get out, um, or anybody who's lived here any length of time who, um, you know, just forgets how to do the turns to get to the Peters Creek Trailhead in Chugach State Park, or um, any of the other trailheads uh, that are particularly the ones that are a little more obscure or out of the way that you don't go to that often. Just the driving directions are, are helpful. Um, and I use it that way myself because I don't remember all the details of how to get to everything every time. <clears throat> and um, But then for, for visitors, people dreaming about Alaska and what they could do there. Um, I think that this, particularly this new one with its 
color maps and color photos is um, is good for that. And uh, we try to we try to write a decent little description at the beginning of each one to give you a flavor of what it's going to be like on that trip. And uh, so I think that it, it's it's meant to be for everybody. It's not technical. We don't, you know, we're not leading people on technical climbs and stuff. And that's part of the intent is that it's for the more or less every person. Um, there's still quite a range in there uh, from people who are trying to take small children out to um, people who want to do a, a big, long 20 mile cross country off trail thing through the Chugach. And you can, you know, you can do all those things with the book. And uh, so I think it serves a little bit of all those purposes, but, but we specifically don't do fly-in things and we don't do particularly technical things. Right. Um, why don't you talk a little bit about the structure of the book, um, how it's organized. You mentioned short versus long trips. There's a great uh, almost index in the book. So, uh, and I think it's also sort of broken the regions within the South Central regions. Why don't you go over the structure of the book a bit for us? Um, the, well, first off, it's it, it basically follows the road system from from Homer um, north to through the Kenai Peninsula and uh, up, up turning an arm through Chugach State Park hikes and Anchorage and, um, and out the Glen Highway uh, into the Matsu. So first up, this was in the valley and then out the Matanuska Valley and continuing um, out of the Matsu borough into the Copper River Basin and over to the Wrangell Mountains and south to Valdez. Um, so the, the area in general is sort of everything south of the Alaska Range. It's kind of what it amounts to. Um, and some coastal and some inland. But uh, the book is organized by the, the Kenai, Anchorage, Matsu, and Copper Basin regions. And, um, and within that, there are trips that are longer or shorter and whatnot. And we have a trips at a glance table at the beginning that um, that helps you know lay out encapsulates shorter shorter trips and longer trips and ones that are good for kids and ones that are good for bikes and skis and ice skates and that you where you might see a glacier or be able to access a summit. Um, and there is a bona fide index in the back as well. Um, and there's an introduction that goes over um, a whole bunch of background stuff that um, everything from avalanche safety to bear safety to uh, you know a brief primer on clothing and boots and things like that. So we we talk a little bit about gear and a little bit about environmental conditions um, for people who don't necessarily have that background. And particularly, we give uh, resources where to learn more about avalanches and whatnot. Yeah, I have to say that the trips at a glance table is really helpful for, you know, it's just nice to have the book around if you say, oh man, I really want to go on a on a one night overnight backpack uh, next weekend and just being able to, to skim through and see, you know, what's going to fit that criteria, what's going to be within the driving distance. It's also really helpful, like, Say you're an author preparing for an interview, you can remind yourself quickly yep. what's in the book. <laughs> yep, I'm glancing at, at uh, as we talk. So yeah, <laughs> we'll come back to those, some of those trips in the second half. We'll have we'll talk about some of the trips and maybe even some of the trips that didn't make it. 
um, I, I, I see some of the, my uh, favorite uh, trips are in there. Um, so it's great to see. Um, let's go a little bit about, I'm interested in this uh, preamble a little bit of what you're talking about, John, of the, the how to, because there's always, a, having written a guidebook myself, there's always a, a, a struggle. You can only fit so much in a book and sort of the how to versus the where to question. Um, and so how did you decide, um, well, maybe let's start with what are some of the important things, takeaways when you're writing this about what were the important how to things to put in there? Like for instance, you know, there you talked about bears and avalanches, but what are some of the other things that important takeaways either um, Becca or John that you think people should know before they uh, go out and do some of these trips? Yeah, I think that's also a little bit evolved over time too, that this um, this new book really acknowledges that a lot of trailheads are becoming more and more used. There are parking issues, there are, uh, trail, there are access issues. Um, and so some of that, uh, some of our job as writers is to, you know, try to um, inform our readership about, you know, it's really on you to be careful and respectful in the environment and uh, don't cut your switchbacks that causes erosion and please park respectfully because neighbors are dealing with trailhead users all the time. Um, yeah, so those kinds of things that don't necessarily come intuitively to people but really help out um, to keeping places um, nice and usable for others. And I imagine uh, if Helen's still with us, that's a big part of what's changed, right? From the old editions to the new edition is technology and just the number of people. For sure that, yeah, um, the, I believe that the early editions um, were, there were places where there was no trail where there now is a well-established trail. And, um, so that, that certainly has changed over time. And um, mom could probably speak more to that, but I, I know from my own experience, just watching it happen that, um, that, you know, there just, there wasn't a trail up flat top when I was first going up flat top or, or barely a trail. And, um, and now, you know, it feels like the mountain is eroding away on its <laughs> most popular side because it gets so much traffic and there's so much trail. Yeah, it's almost like, like we're, you know, the whole phrase that we're loving things to death. Um, I don't know if we're, I don't know if we're dying, but that for sure the experience has changed so much compared to the Clint Alps as a good example of an area that um, has not only changed, you know, the number of trails and number of people, but the infrastructure is, you know, just exploded there. And management has become uh, quite the challenge, and access has become quite the challenge in all these places. Also, did when you write it, did you consider that and oh, picking what trips to do? Uh, uh, it was access like something you went sort of like, well, maybe we shouldn't put that spot in there because there isn't any access. Was that a consideration? Well, for sure, it, it, it's a consideration that we tried to put in um, trips that where access is where there is public access and um, where there, you know, where it hasn't been disputed or where it's, you know, likely to be problematic. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, you know, the, the poster child maybe for this issue is Ram Valley, um, a 
kind of above the Eagle River Nature Center. And um, it would be lovely to have that place in a book so that people knew how to get there and it's a beautiful place, but um, but it, the access crosses private land and it just hasn't been resolved despite multiple efforts. Um, so yes, it does influence what we put in. Um, the, the places we did put in, you know, they're still the very well-known uh, trailheads like South Fork of Eagle River uh, and the South Fork Valley Trail, um, very well-known and very popular. And there's a formal trailhead and you pay your state park fee when you go there and whatnot, but, <clears throat> but it is contentious with the neighbors. And you know, that, that's a place where it's just uh, really important for people who use the trailhead to remember that they're in a neighborhood and that those people have to put up with cars parked at weird angles and clogging up their road and fire access and you know their dogs barking and pooping in people's yards and all those things that it's very understandable why it would be uh, bothersome if you lived adjacent to a trailhead. Um, so we try to be we try to use the book as an educational tool for uh, places where it's important to watch out for X, Y, or Z. And that, that could be at a trailhead or that could be erosion in the backcountry or camping in a place that's really fragile. It's like maybe it'd be better not to camp here. Um, so we can say some of that kind of stuff. Um, the Blackstone Bay Overlook out of Whittier is a new trip and, um, and we put it in there. It's, it's like, it's this balancing act where that place seemed like it was begging for some guidance because people were going there without guidance and going different routes and um, eroding different trails in. Um, and it's confusing and people could get in trouble up high. It's really confusing rocky um, terrain up high where you can't really see where you're supposed to be going. <clears throat> and uh, so being able to let people know what to expect. So either that they don't start when they shouldn't or that they turn back before things get gnarly or whatever. And so I think we try to strike a balance of what we put in that is, so that we're not, um, we're using the book as educational for avoiding some of those impacts, even though a book brings people to a place. <laughs> it's a conundrum. It is uh, yeah, and I think we've done a very good job with it. Uh, I think the introduction, the first part of it, um, the how-to part is well done and hits on the key points. Um, I like some of the things like um, biking ethics. So there's biking trips, and you know uh, we've got not just hikers anymore, but we have bikers and runners and everybody. So yeah, yeah, yeah Becca. Yeah, I'd like to add too that uh, an important part of like our philosophy this for this book too is that. Um, to omit a hike or to like keep some places secret is sort of one of the responses that people often have to this kind of uh, impact question. And I think it's really important to us that, that the book be uh, a tool that helps many different people get out into the outdoors um, and, and that it doesn't become a gate kept thing, you know, that uh, being outdoors is for everyone and, and having a resource like this in your bookstores and your libraries is, um, important for all Alaskans to be able to get outdoors 
uh, when and how they want to. And, and so, yeah, we recognize that uh, including hikes in the book brings uh, traffic, but we hope that also our readers will be um, careful with their footsteps. Yeah, Becca, in the book, uh, there's, I don't know if this is a direct quote, but I wrote it down. It's time for the dominant culture to yield the trail to the historically excluded because of age, ability, race, size, income, et cetera. And you talk about indigenous lands too. Do you want to talk about that? It seems like that was an important part of your philosophy going into this. Yeah, well, I think um, I think that was important to me kind of coming on to this project that my grandma and dad have been working on for many years is um, kind of in evaluating what parts of the original book are we working with and what do we want to add to kind of update our book. Um, uh, I was finding that there wasn't a lot in previous editions about um, inclusion and the importance of following indigenous leaders in Alaska and making sure uh, that we acknowledge indigenous land. So um, part of that is to say that uh, we're recording on Denina land today and I'm calling in from California on Katanamuk and Kawaisu land and um, those indigenous peoples that have been in these lands for uh, ever are really been, have been stewards of this, these lands that we enjoy for many, many years. And so it, we thought it was important to include that in this uh, version of the book. And so we've kind of, uh, land acknowledgement can take many different forms and we've taken it into a specific form in this book that I haven't seen anywhere else, which is whenever you flip to a hike or an adventure in the book, it tells you whose land you're on. Um, and yeah, the indigenous land that you're going to be traversing in that hike. And it's, it can feel a little performative. It's just like, why do I need to know this information? But as we've worked on this, it becomes important to, to recognize, uh, you know, who's stewarding your land, who are the original inhabitants of the land you're on. And, um, and then to learn more, right? Don't just know that, but keep your ear out for uh, the Denina name in your indigenous leaders in, in the Anchorage area, for example, or the artists that you um, support or the activists that you listen to. Um, so yeah, I think that's, um, we're, we're working on that and I think it's kind of evolving. Like there's stuff that went into print that I was like, hmm, maybe I would have worded that even better. <laughs> you know, you always learn as you go, but, um, but uh, yeah, it seems important to, when you're writing a book about land to be aware of whose land it is. That's great, thanks, Becca. Uh, we'll take a short break and be right back with uh, Becca and John Wolf and Helen Ninheiser and uh, talking about their book, Alaska Adventure 55 Ways. You're listening to Outdoor Explorer on Alaska Public Media. Find the show anytime as a free podcast in the iTunes store or connect with us online at alaskapublic.org. Welcome back to Outdoor Explorer. I'm Paul Torlak, your host. Again, we're talking about the new book, Alaska Adventure, 55 Ways, South Central Alaska Adventures, uh, with uh, Becca and John Wolf, who uh, wrote it, and their uh, matriarch, Helen Neenhauser, who's uh, with us also all on Zoom. And she, uh, uh, her and Nancy Zimmerman wrote the original, 55 Ways to the Wilderness in South Central Alaska. Um, so, Becca, let's talk about family a bit. Uh, and uh, I took you had a question for your elders. 
Go yeah, well, yeah, I did have this question uh, for both my dad and my grandma that um, I haven't asked them yet, but I keep kind of, uh, whenever friends are asking me about this book, I keep going, man, it's a lot of work to write this book. Uh, I wonder how my grandparent, my grandma and dad possibly did this when they had little kids, because I am childless and have plenty of time to write a book and it still feels impossible. So uh, grandma, what's your answer to that question? Well, I'm trying to remember. I mean, I know that I was not yet working when the 55 ways, when we were working on 55 ways. So I was being um, a mom and the first book came out in 72. Um, so there weren't, I can't figure out how, I can't remember how old you would have been. <laughs> I would have been, I would have been nine. Nine at that point came out. And, um, good, and they were just good company and we must have made it fun for them. Um, well, I remember, <clears throat> I remember specifically when I was young, <clears throat> I can, for some reason, I can remember this trip to Crescent Lake Cabin on the Kenai Peninsula, um, where we invited a friend along. And so it was me and my brother and another friend. And I think it was three kids, but it made all the difference. And I think that that's something that we, we tried to repeat, at least on occasion with our daughters later, um, that it, it just makes it a lot more fun and the kids are a lot more self, a self-contained unit when they've got a friend along. <clears throat> so we definitely did that. And, um, but yeah, I also think that, I think that my mom's philosophy was you just take them along and if they put up a fuss at the beginning, it doesn't really matter because they'll enjoy it when they're out there. And <clears throat> I definitely um, adopted that idea too. And it seems to have proven itself to work. One of the sections uh, had um, in there uh, some hints for making it enjoyable. You want to talk about how do you make it enjoyable for kids, for those young know, families that are gonna use the book or be out there? Well, I have uh, good memories of and these are some of the tips in the book too, that uh, there were always magic sticks involved. Like you find the <laughs> stick and suddenly it's, it gives you special powers to be able to keep going. And sometimes the, the parent holds one end of the stick and the kid holds the other end. And suddenly like there's power flowing through the stick. You can keep hiking. Uh, hiking with my grandparents, I remember we would stop. And uh, when we had complaints, we would dig a complaint hole and we would put all our complaints in the hole and cover them up, and then they were gone. Well, I'm going to use that with my students. <laughs> <laughs> any, other, any other ideas, John or Helen? Well, you have to pick the hikes that are not too strenuous. I mean, match the, the trips to the age of your kids. Um, I know it kind of is amazing to me, but you can tell from some of the pictures in the um, first edition 
that uh, we took the kids into the mountains, um, but there's a limit to <laughs> how much one you should the, ask of them. And of one, course, it always helps to have a friend along, and it also helped to have two children that were only a couple of years apart, so that just with family, we still had playmates. I, one of the uh, one of the photos in the new book is a historical photo of my brother Dave um, on the top of Rendezvous Peak at um, Arctic Valley, and uh, <clears throat> it's always been labeled his first summit. And um, I don't know, he must be something like six in that picture, six or seven. And um, Rendezvous Peak is relatively short, um, but it's you know it's not. It's no slouch of a hike. It's it's got some steep sections, um, and uh, and it's a real you know it's a real peak, and it's it's a great accomplishment for a kid to get there. Um, so it, I think that is an example of something that strikes the right balance. I I don't think kids really mind going uphill. It's just that it can't be too long and tedious. I like the idea you you also talk about not being uh, in, in a rush and uh, having a lot of variety for kids also. That was yeah, the, the canoe trips that um, I certainly have good memories of being uh, with the canoers and kayakers group had an annual trip to the Swan Lake canoe system. And, and that was a, a bunch of families and the, there would be, um, you know, kids just loved the, the opportunity to play in the water and the variety of you do walk a little portage and then you have some time in the boat and then you walk a little more. Um, <clears throat> that kind of variety and breaking things up, I think, is great for kids. Adults, too. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, let's talk a bit about that's great with kids. I think that's a sort of a, it was a surprise to me in the book that uh, that and, that and and many of the trips are and it is impressive what kids are doing nowadays i go out and see some really small kids doing things i'm like really wow that's great and, you know and you know a story about paul here is my first mountain was at this something in scotland or somewhere that was like i grew up in illinois so there are no mountains let's be clear about that there are no hills and so at some point i don't know why we were in scotland but we were there and it was a I was this big peak and we went up and we got on top and there's a bunch of sheep and a road, you know? <laughs> so it's, uh, uh, the point is in Alaska, we're again, quite spoiled with accessibility and uh, a, a variety of things that we can do. Um, in the book, um, there's, uh, you just don't talk about hiking though. So let's talk about some of the trips you've done and sort of the idea of these other modes. I think you have, you have biking, you have backcountry or, or ski touring, you have um, canoeing, ice skating. So talk a little bit about that. Um, well, I, I would start by saying that it's sort of a natural outgrowth of, um, <clears throat> you know, what we've done. Um, but uh, it, I think that it's really fun to have a, a variety of things. And particularly for the winter, um, we have in South Central Alaska is not necessarily a, a solid winter place. You know, we have winters where things get glazed over by Chinook winds and it rains in the middle of the winter and 
the conditions just change. <clears throat> and um, sometimes the lakes are glazed and iced over and not very good for ski touring across, but they're really good for ice skating. And the development of Nordic skates, where you can clip a, a long blade onto your um, skate skiing boots, uh, makes it super accessible. You, you know, if you need to walk a little ways to get to, to a lake or between lakes, you've got the boots, and then you can clip on the blades and go ice skating. Um, and when it's good touring, then you tour on your skis and break trail. And when it's springtime and it's crust, then you skate ski you it, um, or you fat tire bike on the crust. And so we, because fat tire bikes and skate skiing and wild skating are um, relatively new developments in the 50 year history of this 55 ways enterprise, um, we added them in this edition. And um, like to think that we're, you know, giving at least a snippet of what's possible out there because the conditions change and uh, you might want to do a different mode because you need to do a different mode. Otherwise you're going to be sitting on the couch watching TV um, <clears throat> or because you want to, and you just want to try something new and different. Yeah. It's amazing that technology and the different things that have, have evolved uh, over the last 50 years. Yeah. We also point out that, uh, you know, there are a lot of Alaskans that have, you know, skate skis and diagonal skis and uh, backcountry touring skis and the fat bike and the mountain bike, but you don't have to have all of that. Like you can rent it or borrow it. And like, yeah, I don't own a fat bike, but it's great to borrow or rent a bike to go on some of these trips. So, and Nordic skates are awesome, but you can also do a lot of these trips just on your hockey skates. So um, it's important to remember that you don't need all the gear to be able to get outside. And I think that's really important back to the accessibility part for all people of different income levels that you don't have to have a lot to get outside and enjoy these trips. Yeah, and the outdoor industry would like like you to think otherwise that you need right, yeah. every single, you know, you need a specialized titanium coffee maker just to like go camping, but uh, but you don't, you can just, you know, there are some safety things to take into consideration, but uh, you don't need it all. Right. Um, this is Outdoor Explorer. I'm your host, Paul Torda. Uh, we're talking with uh, John Becca Wolf and Helen Neuhauser about getting outdoors and uh, enjoying uh, uh, the many, many adventures they've written about in their new book, Alaska Adventures 55 Ways. Let's talk about some of the trips. Um, like, 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 pick a, pick a trip you want to maybe highlight out of the book. Well, well, I would, I just jump into. Trip number one in this edition, this new book is um, is the Tutka Backdoor Trail, yeah. and it is a, a relatively new trail, and it is in a really beautiful spot. <clears throat> it it is a big traverse <clears throat> that leads to the outer coast of the Kenai Peninsula. We put in the part that goes up to the pass and back, but we definitely give you the hint that you can go on, uh, but. We didn't do. We didn't include the the uh, the part out to Taylor Bay because it's a, a fly-in thing, and we were just sticking uh, with things that didn't involve flying. Um, but it's a beautiful place, and the, and the Ketchumac Bay State Wilderness Park across from Homer, um, just going from Big Forest up to Alpine, and so it's definitely one of my new favorites. 
and it's a spectacular one. Yeah, go ahead, Becca. Yeah, I think some of my uh, favorite trips were some that we, um, you know, there's some, like we talked about earlier, there are some trips that we put in because they are really popular, but they could use a little bit of guidance so that people aren't trying to find their way off trail. But then there are some trips that we put in that are just kind of like fun for us to figure out a, a ridge, you know, like put together some ridges and make a loop out of it type of thing. We had one trip in previous editions uh, that was around Syncline Mountain in the Matanuska Valley. And we, uh, another change in the last 50 years, we Googled around online and har could hardly find any instances of people doing it. Um, and you can also use, you know, there's like Strava heat maps to try to figure out where people are going. And we were thinking, hmm, it seems like no one's really going on that one. Maybe we should switch it up. So we uh, put together another little route uh, around the Bellinger Pass area in Manuska Valley that was really fun to just, you know, scour over some maps and figure out a good loop and, and put it together and kind of put it out there. And maybe people will go on it, maybe they won't, but it's a, those are the kind of trips that I like figuring out. And Helen, just so you know, I did Silkline Mountain, so well, then do <laughs> <Good>. it. <laughs> good. <laughs> I I like that. I I started off uh, up here and doing a lot of a um, lot of uh, field trips in the Talhitna Mountains, and I I liked the um, Helen at one point you mentioned or somewhere that mentioned the idea of a the Talhitna Mountain State Park. I just, I never heard of that idea. And I, I know there's an Elchina public news area up there for them. Oh, wow. There's a, there's an opportunity for something in the future. Uh, some, some motivated young person to make something yeah. happen. That's a very special area up there. Yeah. Um, any, what other trips would you like to talk about? Well, I would, um, I would highlight uh, a favorite of mine has always been the, the Kasugi Ridge trail. Um, the Kasugi Ridge Trail, um, as we speak, I believe the trail crew is um, gearing up for a, a, another season of trail work to extend that uh, across Curry Ridge. So there'll be um, the, the two ridges linked together in one trail. So you can go um, from the north end <clears throat> and go past, currently you would typically go to Byers Lake um, or out the Troublesome Creek Trail. Um, now you'll be able to extend farther south to Kasugi Ken Campground and Trailhead. And um, it will make it a 48 mile trip across the ridgetops. And it's always been a favorite and the fact that it's getting extended and, um, and encompassing the Curry Lookout, which is a historic site, a little hexagonal building that was used in the railroad days before the Parks Highway when people would hike up the, the east side of Curry Ridge and look over the top at the Alaska Range and Denali. Um, and that hexagonal um, lookout is now on, on the new trail. So that, that won't even open until next summer, but we have the, the tentative route in the book. And um, when it's open, uh, I'll be really excited to, to walk the whole thing. And I believe that'll uh, someday you know, be part of the Alaska Lawn Trail. Um, yeah, I believe it's. Been, but, I, believe, I believe it's been proposed to be uh, a link in the Alaska Lawn Trail. And yep. And you want to talk about that for a second time? We've had a show on that earlier with Tony Knowles and Chris Beck on, but uh, 
maybe you yeah. want to explain to listeners who aren't familiar with it what it is. Yeah, well, it, it, it's a proposal to um, link together uh, existing trails uh, by building some new segments of trail and uh, make it so that you could walk from the ocean at Seward, from the <clears throat> southern end of the Iditarod Trail, um, through to Fairbanks, so into the interior, uh, a distance of roughly 500 miles as it's built, and it um, would, would cross the Kenai Mountains and the Chugach Mountains and the Talkeetna Mountains and the Alaska Range. Um, and it sounds like a wonderful idea and would put Alaska in this uh, group of trails worldwide that are long distance trails. And um, there's like a whole culture of long distance walking out there that Alaska really can't participate in without a long trail. So <laughs> it would be neat for us, but it also would be neat for people from around the world who are part of that culture of long distance walking and who sometimes travel the globe to go to New Zealand or the Himalayas or the Alps or whatever <clears throat> to walk long distances. And um, anyway, I, I believe this trail uh, is in, intended to be a, a braided trail. They have several different routes and to some places will be more favorable to hiking and some will be more favorable to bicycling and some will have ATV opportunities and some will have horse opportunities. And, um, and I, I'm not, you know, that the whole concept is still coming together, but uh, the general idea seems right on and uh, yeah. having it go, go through uh, Denali State Park and the Curry and Kasugi Ridge Trail, that would be a, a highlight part of the trip. And I think it's, I don't know, ironic, or I'm not quite sure the word, is that really, if you go back to the indigenous cultures, in particular, uh, long distance walking and traveling was part of the culture. And, uh, and even even in uh, sort of more recent European history, uh, some of the tracks people did was just part of life, really. <laughs> uh, right. So it's sort of, sort of a neat idea. Um, one area that I'm interested briefly, we're getting toward our end here, that is sort of new to me is the Mentasta Mountains. And you included that in your book. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, I've not been up there. Um, you want to talk a bit about that? that well, the, the Mentasta Mountains are part of Wrangell Mountain, Wrangell St. Elias National Park, and uh, out near Nebesna, it's the most far-flung trip, um, and uh, <clears throat> and the one that's most arguably on the borderline of being in South Central Alaska. So yeah. that you you hike um, Lost Creek and Trail Creek up one drainage and down the other. The, the pass between the two, I believe, is the, is the high point on a trail in, in the book at just over 6,000 feet. Um, it's, it's a great trip, not, not too long, and it's actually pretty accessible, except for the fact that it's a long drive out there. Um, but it's in the Wrangell Mountains. You get some views of the, the big white Wrangell Mountains, uh, if you're lucky, if the weather is good. And, um, yeah, those two those two rivers. I was going to say uh, drain instead of into Prince William Sound or the uh, Gulf of Alaska. That they, they drain into the Yukon and, yep. and then out to the west. <clears throat> um, but uh, anyway, that that trip was actually in previous editions of the book and uh, uh, of the Fifty Five Ways to the Wilderness book, and um, it's. <clears throat> 
it's one of the relatively few in the Wrangell San Elias National Park that you can get to by car without flying in. There's tons of trips and mountaineering and wilderness adventures you can have in, in that park if you're flying, but uh, relatively few that you can get to by car, and that's one of them. That's great. And it's a nice way to wrap up this. We're uh, about out of time because we've moved from uh, the Kenai Peninsula and Homer and the Katamat Bay all the way up into the Wrangles. Um, right. So I want to uh, thank you all again. This is Paul Tordak with Outdoor Explorer and Alaska Public Media. We've been talking with John and Becca Wolf and um, Helen Ninhauser about uh, Helen's original book, 55 Ways to the Wilderness in South Central Alaska. Thank you so much, Helen, for all you've done for this state. And also, uh, Becca and John's new book, Alaska Adventure, 55 Ways South Central Alaska um, Adventure. So uh, thank you all for joining us today. Thank Thanks you. so much for having us, Paul. Hi, welcome back to Outdoor Sport. We have a short segment now uh, on the Prince William Sound Stewardship Foundation's Natural History Symposium. So I have Charlotte Hughes, the program manager of the foundation, to talk about that. Uh, welcome to the show, Charlotte. Hi, Paul. Thanks for having me today. Um, I'm so excited to talk about the Prince William Sound Stewardship Foundation and our upcoming Natural History Symposium. Um, we're a local nonprofit that's dedicated to helping keep Prince William Sound healthy, clean, and wild for all to enjoy. This summer, we have a lot of opportunities to get involved, um, including volunteer projects, citizen science opportunities, and our annual Natural History Symposium. Um, the fourth annual Natural History Symposium will be on May 23rd. Um, this free day-long event started out as a program for guides and outfitters, and it's really grown into a major community event that helps us kick off the summer season. After two years of being online only, we'll be hosting this year's symposium in a hybrid format. We'll be in person at the Public Safety Building in Whittier and online via Crowdcast from 9 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. on May 23rd. Everyone's welcome to join us for a session or two or for the full day. Um, if you know that you'd like to attend virtually, please go to princewilliamsound.org and click on the Natural History Symposium registration button. Great, and it's all free, right? It's all free, yes. And also, we have a, a, a youth track this year, right? You want to talk about that? Yes, we're so excited this year to um, expand our programming for teens for youth. Um, and we have a student strand of presentations that are well-suited to these teen participants, including a student speaker on invasive species in Prince William Sound, and a session led by Alaska Geographic about the opportunities that they have for students. Great. And uh, what are some of the other uh, topics in the symposium? We have a really great um, agenda lined up for this year's Natural History Symposium. We have talks on tsunami safety. We have um, a talk on some background and updates on the very armed landslide um, that'll be coming to us from the US Geological Survey. Um, we have a talk on kelp farming in Prince William Sound, a panel on Kitslitz Murillets in Columbia Bay, um, a talk on glaciers, 
We'll have um, some updates on the head of the Bay Development Plan in Whittier. We'll also have a talk on um, volunteer opportunities in Prince William Sound this summer. So ways that you can get involved and get out in the sound with us. And, and what are some of those um, events? For our volunteer opportunities? Yeah, volunteer, yeah. Awesome. Um, well, we have a lot of different exciting trips lined up this summer, including invasive dandelion removal in Hobo Bay, We'll be doing some campsite hardening in Blackstone Bay. We have several marine debris initiatives. Um, one of those is a trip out to Knight Island. We also have um, our Leave It Better campaign that's ongoing throughout the summer where you can pick up the bright yellow Alpar trash bags and take them with you if you're going out in the sound and help us pick up marine debris. And you can pick up those bags in Whittier or in Girdwood. Great, Charlotte, thanks. And this will all be, we'll have a link to the foundation's uh, website on the Outdoor Explorer webpage uh, on Alaska Public Media. And we appreciate your time. It sounds like a full and fun summer out in Prince William Sound. It's going to be a wonderful summer and we're looking forward to kicking it off with the Natural History Symposium on May 23rd. We hope everyone will join us. And if you can't make it on May 23rd, don't worry. We'll have recordings of all of our talks put up on our website, princewilliamsound.org, a couple weeks after the event. So you can look for those in June. Um, and if you're a student or just interested in what's going on, we'll also have some educational materials that are accompanying um, some of those talks. Great, thanks Charlotte. That's been uh, Charlotte Hughes with the Prince William Sound Stewardship Foundation. And we'll have uh, more information on the Outdoor Sport uh, website. Thanks for joining us, Charlotte. Thank you so much, Paul, for having me. Thanks for listening, and to my best authors, Becca and John Wolf, Helen Nienhauser, and Charlotte Hughes with the Prince William Sound Stewardship Foundation. Finally, a big thanks to our producer, Eric Bork. This is your host, Paul Tordak, and from all the hosts at Outdoor Explorer, read up, and we'll see you outside. Outdoor Explorer is a production of KSKA Public Radio in Anchorage, Alaska. Theme music is by Portugal, the man. Views expressed are those of the participants and do not reflect the station or its underwriters. You can find Outdoor Explorer on Facebook and in your favorite podcast app. To see what's coming up on Outdoor Explorer and add your voice to the conversation, go to our website at alaskapublic.org. Life Informed, this is Alaska Public Media.